0: Welcome into the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast, presented by TIAA Bank. JP Shadrick with you. Today is Friday, June 19th. Let's get right into the best of the broadcast week. We start this week with the Ozone podcast for Monday. John Osier visited with Director of Player Development Marcus Pollard and Running Backs Coach Terry Rubisky, two men who have been important pieces of the Jaguars' social justice and racial equality initiatives. Both spoke during the Jaguars' march to the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office steps, and Rubisky was nearly moved to tears that day, talking about the organization's involvement. Rubisky has been involved in the NFL since 1977 as a player, and then from the early 80s as an assistant coach. He explained to Osher a little bit of his background and why this movement
1: feels different. Uh, I grew up in an environment where I didn't, I, it wasn't really, there wasn't white people in my environment. Now, again, yeah. Maybe Marcus's situation was different uh I don't know Marcus's high school uh his elementary school. I don't know you know who, who was his classmates. I don't know who Marcus went to class with. You know what I mean, but I tell people I grew up in a hometown of twenty five hundred people maybe maybe uh i'm i'm hard pressed to believe it was uh two hundred white people in my hometown okay. uh, i went to a high school my ho- high school very very small. About 400, 400 students and I never saw I never saw white kids in high school until we played them in sports. We, we, we didn't do that even when America said uh, we're gonna integrate We had a lot of uh, our especially our good athletes a lot of our good players left from us and went to the white school because they thought they'd give them a better opportunity to go uh, progress and 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 become better players and get scholarships. But nobody left that white school and came to our school. I mean, not even, not even a cheerleader. You know what uh-huh. I mean? But then I, on the other side of that, uh, leave from there, and I signed a scholarship with one of the largest white universities in the world, in LSU. Right. LSU, right. Understand? So uh, I go from a hometown of uh, 2,500 people, two three hundred white people, to 25,000 white students on the campus. You know, and it was only seven of us when I got there. But from there I left and went to the Oakland Raiders and some of my best friends became uh became white guys. I mean, and again, you know, when I got there, they had just won a Super Bowl. So we all loved everybody, you know. So, like you said, Marcus talked to Peyton on one side and then talked to Wing on the other side. You know, I understand that, I understand all of it. But the thing I'll say is the things I have seen. In recent days, when Marcus said a minute ago, we were at the march yesterday. When the mayor says that statue is coming down, so Marcus, you yeah. got to know it's it's changing. You better believe. You better believe it's changing. You know, and that's why when I was on the step and I stood up and spoke and said what I said on Friday,
2: mm-hmm.
1: again, in my little bitty community back home, I think 1967 or 68, one of them two years there, we marched. We marched against an all white school board because they had fired a black coach that we had. And we decided we was going to march and we was going to picket it. And what I'm saying is all my life at that little bitty school down in Louisiana, we were always the second class group. We were always the blacks that didn't matter. You understand? Um, Nothing we did to nobody mattered, but it mattered to us. You understand? And what I'm saying is for me is from my very first march, Again, in 1967 when I was 13 years old, Shad Khan and Doug Marone and Dave Carwell was on the other side of that march for me. Those were the guys we were looking at and right. yelling at and cussing at and fussing at and going at. You understand? The thing that I have seen that's different is when you said a minute ago you and Marcus have had a lot of conversation over the years, but y'all have never been able to talk about racial issues. Y'all never, the thing that's been phenomenally beautiful for me is in Jacksonville as a Jaguar. I've sat with a head coach who's comfortable in that environment. Doug Marone is comfortable to sit down and talk about racism in America, not just racism in the NFL. Boy, that's a. You've never seen that before. Never in my whole entire life had I ever seen that. You understand? And again, you know, I could tell you some of the head coaches I played for and head coaches I worked for, some of the greatest to ever coach the game. But to be able to sit down and have a conversation about the treatment of black people in America, I've only had one that's ever did that. And then the kick about that is to have a Doug Marone who can have that discussion and be open about it. Now, we're not sitting there using the N-word, but we're sitting there having a conversation and this guy can talk about his feelings, his family, their thought process about blacks and how blacks are being treated. And then after I get up from that desk of talking with Doug Marone, I hear there's an owner of the same organization that stood up and talked about the racism he has seen
0: mm-hmm.
1: to him. You understand what I'm saying? So that is movement in itself. That's unbelievable to believe that is coming from the top. The Ozone Podcast, available on
0: Jaguars.com and the Jaguars Official Podcast Network. When we return, we dig into the Ozone mailbag and we'll hear from NFL Network reporter Steve Weich. All
3: that after this. JAGS fans, fill your wallet with one debit card that screams, Do ball, exclusively from TIAA Bank.
0: Let's go back to Jags drive time Tuesday morning. I filled in for Ashlyn Sullivan this week, and John Osier, Brian Sexton, and I dug into the Ozone mailbag. Let's get right into it. Nathan from St. Augustine has the first question. Assuming they hold training camps, how do you think a training camp might differ this year from past years, considering there has been no on-field work since last season?
2: Well, and this is a different question than what we just feel. that I think he's asking more about what it's going to look like on the field. My impression, my impression from listening to Doug Marone last week, that their concern, and this is from talking to a couple of assistants as well, is just making sure the rookies understand what's expected on the field. And that can be just to, hey, we run a drill like this. You may have run a drill like this in college. This is what we need you to do in this case. This is what we expect from this drill. Even this bag drill, they might run differently. This, uh, you know, period four tight end drill they might run differently so i think there'll be a little bit of that making sure they know what to do at that point i don't know how much you can differ beyond that because there's a limited amount of time there's still a limited amount of time you can't make them work overtime you can't schedule extra practices extra hours so at some point there has to be an element of you know what we taught you guys this play on june 10th when we were virtual we need you to go run it. They'll go slower. Todd Walsh has talked about trying to go slower, but I think there's a limit to how slow you can go. A week or two
3: into this, they need to be up to speed. John, just a thought here. I talked to a a retired coach who told me that he'd been thinking about ways to tweak training camp to get more out of it. He said if it were him, he would probably put some tents out on the practice field and do meetings on the practice field. So in other words, Sit and watch some tape and then go out and have a walkthrough. Not not back and forth to the locker room, to the restroom, out to the field, back in, but to maximize time be able to do some film study and then go right out on there. Not full hardcore practice time, but walkthrough. Okay, guys, let's go back to the tent now and let's go through these four or five things. Maximize the time that you're given by the collective bargaining agreement and be able to get on and off the field with the element of video
0: let's stay in the ancient city gary and st augustine do you think the 2020 season will start as scheduled
2: yeah i do because there's incredible financial incentive to do so everybody meaning you know the nation's sports fans absolutely want it they have been in high gear to make this thing start uh so i do think it'll start i as we talked about earlier i don't know what contingencies and what obstacles they're going to have to face because i don't think anybody particularly knows those are going to come up as they go but i think the incentive and the want to this is the biggest sports industry in our our world meaning you know soccer is bigger overseas but yes i think this machine will get this thing started Whether it can maintain it all the way through, I think, Brian, is the question.
3: Well, I'll take the flip side to this. Uh, With a nod to Roger Goodell, who has proven with the league office that they generally get done what they want to get done. And this last spring's draft is certainly proof of that. So they've got that evidence in their corner. Um, But, you know, Major League Baseball hasn't restarted yet. The NBA hasn't restarted yet. Neither has hockey. And all of those are going to be raging in late August, early September. I think if we start to see the uptick like we have in Texas and in Arizona and it continues through some of this, I I would think the league might want to push back a little bit. I hear there are teams that want to push it back a little bit and the league office is pushing against that. Um, So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say maybe it's only two weeks or maybe it's the start of October. But it just seems to me right now there are so many unknown variables to this that I I have a hard time believing they can can get their arms around it and get it ready for the 1st of September. And they might have the incentive to have the stage to themselves in, in October.
0: The full archive available on the team website, Jaguars.com. Now to Jaguars happy hour presented by Tito's handmade vodka Thursday afternoon, I sat down virtually with NFL network reporter, Steve Weich, a longtime NFL beat writer before turning to NFL media in 2008. He's been active during the recent conversations on NFL Network about racial relations and how the league has responded. The Jaguars, of course, were at the forefront of the league's response with Shad Khan's op-ed piece, followed by the Jaguars becoming the first NFL team to march. I asked Weich his reaction to Mr. Khan's written piece and much more.
4: Yeah, look, I think it was important because, as we know, Shad Khan is the only minority uh, principal owner in the NFL. And so for him to come on and write an op-ed talking about some of the racism that he's faced, and of course, he's, he's overcome a lot of things financially and business-wise, but he still deals with it, um, was fantastic. And, you know, and I really thought it was very important for him to say he was going to listen to his players, because that's something that owners have not necessarily done. Some have, uh, but others have been more dictatorial. And so you're going to do it this way, or it's the highway. So the fact that that's the tenor he set for the organization I think is very important um, because it lets coaches know, okay, good, I can give my players maybe some opportunities or freedoms, and it lets players know that they can seize control of the narrative or what is going to happen with the players without any type of obstruction. Steve,
0: do you think that will be um, something that Mr. Khan starts that other owners maybe take and, and use on their own as well? Is that something, like you said in the past, that some are dictatorial. It doesn't really work like that a lot of places. Can this be a league-wide phenomenon?
4: We'll see. Um, you know, look, some owners have stepped out and they've made statements, but, you know, are they going to put actions behind their words? And some owners have been very active. David Tepper with the Carolina Panthers severed ties with their big security agency uh, because their their CEO or their head was very dismissive of some of the things publicly about what, what people are protesting against. So, you know, th- this is a wait and see, but I do think Shad Khan and taking the steps that he's taken has shown significant leadership maybe to the rest of the owners, but I think absolutely to his players and people in the community who can see that the influence the Jaguars could have and kind of being a guiding hand and measures to be taken to kind of make some some repairs to what's going on right now.
0: Yeah, certainly in a town like this, the, the Jaguars are the big fish here in Jacksonville. So uh, whatever happens from this organization makes a big impact in the community. We've seen that already with the, the players' marches through downtown, including the mayor and the sheriff. You don't get a lot of uh, work both ways in a lot of places, but Jacksonville is a place where that has happened so far.
4: It has. you know. And what's interesting is you know, some of these things have been player-led. We saw Leonard Fournette and some people, you know, take take that the hold of that and some of been organizationally led but I mean think back when you were a little kid I mean even if you got a chance to meet an NFL player or even see one you know on the sideline close or in person at an autograph signing whatever even if you know that person said to you like hey you can be a star you're gonna think man I, he told me I can be a star and so players understand the influence of the voice of the pro athlete and or, or, the, or the head coach and, and that's something, uh, you know, you're seeing more and more players recognize during this situation, this movement, whatever you want to call it, that we're in right now. And I think they're understanding that, yeah, we may not be able to change the minds of some people who are older and who are ingrained, but we can teach these young people or show these young people a way that we can be better and more tolerant and more accepting. And, and, and that's what I think so many people are forgetting about, because maybe the people who aren't buying the tickets will be the next generation to buy the tickets those can be the significant influencers are those to be influenced in this moment
0: the archive of jaguars happy hour available on jaguars.com or the official jaguars podcast channels and a video version of that interview with steve weich the full interview is scheduled to come out early next week on the team site we're in the dead period of the off season so the next few weeks jaguars radio and digital shows We'll be on hiatus. We'll keep you posted on any breaking news or social justice matters from the Jaguars on Jaguars.com and the Jags social channels. Catch all the Jaguars news, video, and audio on the official team website, Jaguars.com. Thanks for listening. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next time on the Jaguars broadcast week in review podcast presented by TIAA Bank.